Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hum. The world of technology and healthcare ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about health IT predictions for 2021, good riddance 2020. <laughs> and be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our now 15 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. You ready for 2021, Colin, or... I am so ready for 2021 because only that that just means 2020 is finally, you know, in the past. (laughs) Yeah, I did see a Twitter poll. It says, how will 2021 be better, worse? I'm like, I don't care the answer. I already know it's better. (laughs) Exactly. We know 2021 is going to be better because it's not 2020. (laughs) <laughs> like so yeah i mean uh, i don't think we're through the woods but at least you know we've all adapted things have adapted things are coming back so the vaccine's coming the, you know medicine i mean credit healthcare for everything they've done in the past nine months it's really extraordinary what they've accomplished from a testing perspective from a vaccine perspective you know i feel lucky to be in the healthcare industry yeah no it's it's been it's been pretty awesome to see that I and mean, we we kind of forget it because we of course there was the numbers are, are getting worse right now. And, and there's a lot of, you know, hospitals that are at hundred percent capacity. So we still have a lot of uh, uh, t- tough days ahead, but, you know, we can also talk about the vaccine, right? We can also talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, hopefully by summer, or maybe fall, you know, that we'll have enough people who have taken the vaccine where some of the, rest- the heavier restrictions can now finally come off. Right. So, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, so that can only be a good thing, right. For 2021. Yeah. <laughs> I think it will be good. So let's uh, take this predictions one a, a little different way. And maybe you can kick us off, Colin, with what won't happen in 2021. Rather than predicting what will, what won't happen? <laughs> this is a good one. Um, so one of the things I think that uh, won't happen, it's a little bit of a prediction going to our, uh, I just don't think that we're going to have big conferences in healthcare in 2021. I really don't think that uh, we're going to see the, you know, the big CES show, of course, for sure. But I think any large conference in healthcare is just not coming back in 2021. Even if by the time fall rolls around, we are okay to travel again, we are okay to gather in groups again. And and I say that because A, I think budget-wise, it's just going to be almost impossible for healthcare providers, especially, to justify sending anybody to a conference, whether that's a clinician or whether that's an IT person. Um, and I also think that uh, in just in terms of, you know, I think there's still going to be a lot of work to do in healthcare. There's still the backlog of patients. There's still all that stuff that's happening. And I just think they just go, you know what, let's just wait. We'll go in 2022. So I really don't think there's going to be any large scale conferences in 2021. Yeah, well, CES is uh, January 6, 2021. So I guess that's a safe prediction for CES, which we know is already virtual. But if we say they're 2022, I actually think that's a bad example because I think they will come back 
And that's because they're all tech nerds that uh, you know want to come together. And I think by the end of the year, or beginning of 2022, we'll probably be able to come back. You know, what's more interesting to me is like the mid ones, like summer, mm-hmm. late fall. I think they're still going to hold these large conferences. But I, I think where it might have been 40,000 people, it's now going to be like 10,000. Which for that conference who has sold their sponsorships on the idea of, hey, 40,000, 45,000 people are going to be at the event for 10,000 people to show up. It's going to be a disaster for them and their sponsor relationships. But the reality is if 10,000 people all come together, that's still a really good conference, you know, if it's the right people. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think many organizations are going to suffer and they'll probably try to backfill it with some sort of virtual attendance. And we had 30,000 virtually and sponsors will be like, yeah, but that's not what I came for. So I think there's going to be an interesting dance for conference organizers. I think so. I think some of the mid smaller conferences will come back like regional conferences and, and so, you know, where you have maybe a hundred people, 200 people. I think those would come back for sure in the fall, but I just don't think the large ones are going to be back in force uh, until really until 2022. So what about you, John? What, what, what's uh, something that you're thinking we, that won't happen in 2021? Yeah, one other thought real quick on the conferences that I'll hit mine, but we heard an interesting comment that many of the vendors stopped sponsoring the little local events because obviously they didn't hold them or they switched virtual. So I wonder how many of those small regional ones really got nailed in 2020 from not having the sponsorships they normally would have had. But in 2021, they may be the only ones that can hold an event. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, is, will they make up for it eventually? I think that will be fun to, to watch on the sponsorship side. But the thing I'm looking at and I'm like, okay, what won't happen in 2021? And mine is interoperability. <laughs> I mean, we there's effort to try to do it, whether it's an ACO, whether it's COVID vaccine, whether it's testing, whether it's all of these pressures trying to do it, let alone the Cures Act, which got delayed till April. And we'll see, you know, do they delay it again? I hope not. I don't think so. But like, if they delay it again, that just adds one more thing. But when you look at it, and I'm saying like, ubiquitous interoperability that happens just naturally. I mean, it's just almost a feature of all systems. That's what I'm talking about. Sure, there's always been point-to-point interoperability that's been effective. But for example, do we have an immunization registry that has all the COVID-19 vaccine, which is a previous episode? (laughs) Yeah, not going to happen, which is unfortunate. There's a lot of downside to that. But I think it's true across every aspect of interoperability. I think we'll see progress, but it won't be nearly the progress. In fact, probably even more than the progress will be the highlighting of how detrimental it is to us as patients and to the community at large that we don't have it. (laughs) Right. No, I I think... You know, we talk about it every year, right? It being the perennial priority list, is, interoperability is on there. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I really don't think it's going to happen in any meaningful way in 2021. Um, like you said, I think there'll be pockets of interoperability. I think there'll be some talk about it for sure. There'll be companies that do better jobs at it. Um, but I really don't think there's going to be widespread effort um, to solve that problem in 2021. It's just being pushed back to the back burner. 
I mean, faxes will still happen, you know, the most interoperable <laughs> solution in healthcare. Uh, of course. <laughs> which I, I say that's somewhat tongue in cheek, but it's true, right? I mean, it, it is. And, and so there is those types of things that are there. I mean, it's just hard. I mean, if we were to go to the hospital CIO and say, give me the board priorities for your healthcare organization for the past 10 years or 20 years, would we ever find interoperability on that document? <laughs> I don't know. Could we start seeing it in 2020? That would be, or 2021? That would be interesting. But yeah, it's still not a priority for healthcare orgs. You know, related to, to what we were just talking about, you know, you got me thinking when we were talking about interoperability. I mean, the other big thing we talk about all every year is, of course, value-based care. And, and I wonder if in 2021, we're going to see any meaningful motion, to, mm. further motion towards that too. Just because we're coming through a crisis, We've had to suspend a lot of, you know, initiatives. Value-based care, I don't, it is coming, right? I just wonder if 2021 is sort of that pause year. It's like, okay, you know what? Like, we've got to just get through this backlog. We've got to get these things done. So we're not really going to push value-based care, all the different payment models, all those kinds of things right now. Like we're going to, we're just going to just kind of fix the ship, right? Get it back running and then we'll go uh, maybe a little harder at it in 2022. So I wonder how much movement and how much we're going to hear about getting to a value-based environment. Like, cause that was super hot. Like last year, like last year, this time, that's all we're talking about. And, you know, we're talking about the, the, uh, the info blocking and we're talking about value-based care. Right. And that sort of, of course, uh, gone by the wayside uh, during the pandemic. So I wonder if in 2021, we probably won't hear much meaningful motion uh, movement towards it. I think there'll be some, but just like interoperability, I just think it'll be, a little bit of a back burner issue for, for the year. Yeah. And, you know, there's been some efforts by the re regulatory bodies. Uh, you know, if you look at the information blocking stuff, it's very much about enabling value-based care. The HIPAA changes really about value-based care. But most importantly, the biggest change was the star claw changes, which were like, Hey, if you're doing value-based care, throw it out the window. <laughs> That's Cliff Notes version, but you know, it's not quite that way, but it almost right. Like, Hey, you're in value-based care. So you should use incentives to try to encourage behavior in a way that will lower costs. And so I think that is a big thing, although it's going to take a few years for people to figure that out and to be brave enough to try it. You know, one thing I don't think will happen in 2021 is ubiquitous telehealth. It happened in what, April, May of, of 2020 because of COVID. Sure. It nearly was ubiquitous, but I think we're going to see a massive rollback, partially because reimbursement is still so questionable and we're not sure what's going to happen. That If we could have some certainty around that, that would help a lot. But also there's a lot of organizations, if you've got a waiting list out a month, why do you care about telehealth? And so you're, you know, they're not going to do it. And that's to the detriment of a lot of patients. I mean, we just featured Erin uh, Moriarty, who you know from the HCLDR community. And she said, I hope it sticks around because I know what it's like with my kid who's immune compromised that can't go in. Telehealth's been a godsend, if you will. It wasn't her word, mine, but you know, it's been so helpful. So I think it will remain but it's not going to ubiquitous. You're, if you want to go to telehealth, you're probably going to have to search for a provider who does it. And some of them will just say, no, you have to come in. I'm sorry. Yeah, we were, we were just talking about that um, in an interview I did with uh, Greenway uh, recently. And, you know, I didn't know this, but, you know, 
telehealth got implemented so quickly that the uh, payment process, the, the, the revenue cycle process for telehealth is much more complex and much more of a moving target because it is so new. There's changing guidelines almost, I won't say daily, but very frequently. Yep. And so it costs, even though that right now it's sort of supposed to be reimbursed at the same level as, a, as an in-person, but the back office is so much more complex that it's costing more to, to and, and people having claims rejected you know, that they're doing for telehealth. So, so the cost is higher, right? And so with that, I think people are kind of going, well, if it's, gonna, if it's such a headache to submit, if it's such a headache to, to get this paid, I'd rather just have them come in. And so those borderline cases where it's like, you know, do they come in? Do they not? I think they're going to err on the side of, well, just come on in when, when things kind of calm down again, right? So I, I agree with you, John. I think what we're not going to see is quite the same level of telehealth usage in 2021. Um, another interesting stat that I just heard from uh, IQVIA uh, was that it, based on telehealth appointments, uh, prescriptions are down by 30%. And, and what that was a leading indicator to me and to them was that just means that they're probably asking these people to come in, right? Because hmm. it's not like medication is any less needed, right? Uh, so the question is, if 30% less fewer medications are being prescribed by telehealth, that means the other 30% is probably being done in, in person, right? So you can already start to see like they're, they're, you know, there's going to be less and less usage of the telehealth because people are just going to be asked to come in. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's, there could be a lot of theories of why that 30% change. That's a really great stat. Like, it makes you wonder, were they not prescribing it because they didn't want to deal with the prescribing and figuring out, did they True not enough. prescribe <laughs> it because you know, they actually were seeing a healthier population that didn't need as many scripts. I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's all these interesting questions there. Um, I do feel bad for the healthcare AI engines that are trying to predict reimbursement levels for you and reimbursement <laughs> and which ones are going to fail because telehealth has changed so many of those things. Sure. And that, uh, you know, to your point, there's a lot of fear about telehealth reimbursement because there's so many unknowns and so many things that are changing that I think that's going to cause some problems. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. And we're talking today about predictions for 2021, but we're taking a slight twist on it rather than, uh, you know, just kind of straight up telling you what we think was going to happen next year. We just spoke about what we think is not going to happen. Uh, and now we're going to talk a little bit of some other topics. So, John, let me ask you, we, we kind of covered it when I made my prediction of, of no conferences, but what do you think is going to happen with conferences in 2021 in terms of for healthcare? Yeah, I mean, I think the easy prediction is the first half of the year, forget about it. <laughs> like, I mean, there might be some minor, you know, smaller group training events and things like that. But yeah, it's hard to see anyone doing it, whether it's the, the budgets of the organizations, as you mentioned, but I think also if you're a conference organizer, you need a good three to six months and that's pushing it even right to get the sponsors on board, to plan the logistics, to plan the agenda, to do a call for speakers, to do all those things. So you're telling me right now, those conference organizers, which ironically we organize too, are sitting there saying, let's do this. Like, yeah. you know, they'd have to be starting now to do that. And I just don't think there's enough certainty in the marketplace for conference organizers to do that. Second half of 2021, maybe. And I think we'll see some, some beginnings of that, right? 
so unless you have an established community where you're like, okay, we're doing it come, you know, whatever may. And if we have to switch to virtual, we switch to virtual. Those ones are going forward. But if you're a medium-sized conference organizer, you're probably holding out and saying, let's just do virtual, you know, for now. And then let's revisit it in the fall. Yeah, this is, I think, um, you know, my prediction for next year for conferences. I think we're actually going to see quite a number of conferences fold up and not, not, not come back. Um, now, these are not the association ones because they have a different model, of course, right? But I'm talking about conferences that were purely just conferences. And I say that because I think what we saw in 2020 was the vestige of sponsors continuing to have to, or obligated in some cases to stick with the 2020 conference. But now that 2021 is rolling around, I think a lot of them have said, well, no, wait a minute, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold back my commitment. And I think what's going to happen is they're just not going to commit because the virtual experience for the majority of sponsors has been poor, right? It has not generated the same number of leads, the quality of interactions. There's been some exceptions. Some conferences have done really, really well. But for the most part, I think they're disappointed with the return they're getting on that. It's certainly not equivalent to an in-person. Yeah. So, so I think what's going to happen is uh, a lot of conferences are just not going to be able to be sustained because they're not going to see the sponsors come back, right? They're going to wait and keep their powder dry for 2022. And, and we just, John, we were just on a, a HitMake panel where I just did the informal poll of four companies, right? And they're all saying we're doing a third this year, even 2020. They're doing a third less conferences than they've done, right? They used to go to 40. Now they're doing like, they're doing 10, right? There's one organization that's doing three when they used to do 30. Like, it's just, these numbers are incredible. They used to go to 30 conferences in a year and now they're doing three online. So you think okay. about that and go, those other 17 or those other 27 conferences are losing out of that sponsorship money or even that attendee money. I don't know how they're going to sustain themselves. So um, that is a concern, but I think also it's a reset of the industry because maybe there were a few too many <laughs> before COVID. <laughs> well, it highlights uh, how much those conferences are, are propped up by sponsor revenue, which is a message we probably take away as well. And it makes sense. I mean, that's what, you know, the ideal conference brings together sponsors who can provide services to attendees that are needed by those attendees. And then the, you know, and obviously the conference organizer creates this communal area for them to do that. What's interesting is why that hasn't been able to be more effective virtually. Mm. And I think it is a mix in healthcare of I'm overwhelmed with COVID. Don't bug me with a conference, right? Like right. I, I'm already, you know, at my wits end. And probably, uh, you know, the second one was, is is really about all the other things we do at a conference. The side conversations, those are so much harder virtually and to pull yourself away from the job is I don't know why it is but it just has been the case that if you're easily accessible and they know it's a virtual conference they don't mind bugging you right. even if you would have been away for three days in Vegas previously so yeah I mean I think I think it's just the nature of where we're at it will be interesting to see how many are finding value outside of conferences and won't go back to conferences at all as sponsors or attendees. I mean, I think from an education CME standpoint, you know, they've seen lots of value of getting the CMEs virtually and in a quick fashion without having to travel. They don't have to figure out the kids and what to do with them. They don't have to leave their work. It's, it's pretty convenient. So. So, uh, so, and I agree, and you know, obviously I think I agree with you there. I think the education has translated well, but of course the networking and everything has not. Yep. Uh, but let me get, let's get to this question, John, because I'm interested in your take. 
you know, let's, if we look at it, sort of health IT as a whole, so the whole industry, right? Not specific companies, but just all of it. What do you think is going to happen as an industry in 2021? Yeah. So when I look at it, I think we've seen a really big expansion of it. Uh, we've seen just this infusion of cash that anything that says telehealth, they throw money at, <laughs> or, you know, and, and you're like, is that really telehealth? And how is that going to work out? So I think that's one thing we've seen. The other thing we've seen start in 2020 that I think will continue in 2021 is the amount of mergers that have happened. Mm, you know, I would have thought during COVID where there was uncertainty about the future of many of these health IT companies and products, I would have thought there would be a bit of a pullback on, on mergers and acquisitions. And, and I, you know, as I look at it now, I don't know if a lot of people are saying, oh, I want to get off this train. Let's, <laughs> let's sell, right? Like, because COVID's been so tough or whether it's just, um, proactive companies that see opportunities amidst this environment to to really consolidate market share or to go after new markets that they hadn't gone before but we've seen a big time mix of uh mergers and acquisitions largely acquisitions for most in most cases Mm -hmm. that we hadn't seen before no I, i think there's certainly more activity than i would have anticipated this year that happened and and i think we'll see that momentum carry through into 2021 uh, one of the things I was going to comment around the predictions is, you know, I do a lot of work um, with some entrepreneurs in, in, you know, in the health IT space. So a lot of um, uh, advice, advice that I do through a local um, innovation hub here for free, you know, give back to the community, so to speak. And uh, what I'm finding is that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are starting companies in the midst of COVID that don't come from healthcare. Right. So I think as a, as, a, as a whole, I'm encouraged. And I think what we'll see in 2021 is an influx of newcomers. Not, and I don't mean like the Amazons and the Googles and that mean that newcomer. I mean, like people who have never been in healthcare before, uh, entrepreneurs, and they're going to, I think we're going to see a lot more of those kinds of companies founded by people who came from manufacturing or came from uh, aerospace or came from these other industries, partly because maybe they had a bad experience, right? They lost a loved one or they had just had a bad experience in healthcare these last few months, uh, or they just think that their uh, expertise could translate. And I think it'll be very interesting to see that level of fresh perspective come into uh, the healthcare space. And, you know, also let's, let's be honest, like it has been in the news a lot, right. And there is still money being spent and not as much as before, but there's still money being spent here. And certainly the other industries have been hit pretty hard, aerospace, manufacturing and so forth. So, you know, people go where the money is. And so I think we're seeing that influx and I, and I hope in 2021, we'll see some successes from this group. Yeah. No one asks how much it costs when grandma's on the gurney, uh, you know, sadly, unfortunately. Um, I think it's interesting to think about these outside people coming in and, and it begs the question, will they last, right? <laughs> or, sure. or, or will they be so delusioned by the <laughs> mess that is a lot of healthcare? You know, will they last? So I think that will be interesting to watch. Um, I think there's one other thing that contributes to your idea though, and that is, are they been, have they been working in other industries and COVID has opened their eyes to the meaningless work that they're doing in other industries? <laughs> you know, be I, true. Yeah. I did an interview recently and I forgot what industry they came from, but they were talking about their work there and they're like, yeah, I just realized 
I needed something better. I needed something that, you know, I'd wake up to and be like, okay, I need to do something more. I think they actually were coming from ad tech or something. They're like, yeah, I could sell more t-shirts. I could sell more makeup. Right. And maybe I'd make more money, but what's the point of that? Right. Like it's so, you know, this person had shifted to healthcare and said, let's bring all that knowledge and experience to your point to healthcare and let's take all that data and personalization and do something that I can go to bed at night and feel like, man, I made a difference in the world. I made a difference in someone's life because, um, you know, I know the latest blush is your favorite thing to buy, Colin, but <laughs> yeah. But you're using, that, you're using that predictability for good, right? Getting that patient, how to motivate that patient maybe to stay on the regimen or to come in for the appointment. And, you know, it, it, this, you're right. It's the same marketing theory, but now applied to something that's a little bit more meaningful than, you know, buying the next uh, color of blush, uh, which by the way is, is pink, um, which is pink? a good one. Oh, pink is good I would have said purple for you. I, purple I, for I, me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I, I, and I, I think it'll be very interesting because um, there are some industries I'm finding that are sort of healthcare adjacent that I never thought of before, right? Mm -hmm. Like food, uh, food processing, very heavily regulated, uh, very, very sanitary, and so you can see a lot of technologies that apply to that could apply to, you know, the drug world, right? Of course, and pharmaceuticals, but it can also apply to sanitation and, and that's physical plant maintenance that happens inside a hospital, right? Or inside a facility. And something that's taking on a new, uh, a new focus, right? Like disinfecting and disinfecting machines, like, you know, food yeah. processors have had these for ages, right? But now hospitals are thinking, well, can I just turn on a robot inside a room and just have it fumigated? And then just like, you know, they don't have to do anything else. Yeah, it's great. Uh, those are those are technologies that I'm starting to see coming from these other places. So I'm, I'm excited. And I think in 2021, we'll start to, again, like I'm hoping we'll start to hear about some of these companies that are actually making it. But I agree with you. I think the challenge will be, are these people going to run in headlong to that brick wall of, well, it takes like three years to get an RFP <laughs> or to get approval. And then there's all these regulations. And then like, the person who's paying for your solution may not be the one who's actually using your solution, which is very <laughs> odd, right? Like, yeah. So let's hope they can stick around because uh, certainly there's some interesting technologies and innovations out there. Absolutely. So, John, we're getting to the end of time. So we got to get to this last question. When are we going to see each other next in 2021? Well, will they open the border from Canada to allow the Canadians to, um, well, I don't know, do they allow me in or do they allow you? In? I'm not sure which way. Yeah, it's a good question, right? Like, you know, I, I miss seeing you. I miss seeing uh, a lot of friends. And, and, you know, we talk about it every time we meet on a Zoom or call with different people. You know, I'm, I'm almost ready to go rogue and say, meet me in New Orleans because <laughs> I just miss people so much. I mean, you know, I think it's going to be similar to the conferences probably and, and middle to end of next year, um, maybe summer, we'll get some summer outings. We can finally come back together and give each other a hug. And that, yeah. I mean, think how fun that's going to be. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Christmas. The anticipation of Christmas is sometimes better than Christmas itself. Uh, let's just look at it that way. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think uh, when we get to the fall, uh, I think, you know, with, once the border opens and, you know, we may not be able to have a conference, but I think there'll be a desire to get together just to have, just to get together, right? See friends, uh, you know, hug each other and say hello in person. I think definitely that will happen. I'm looking, and I'm done, you know, like you, looking very much forward to that. 
Uh, I also think I've piled up probably about a hundred orders for maple syrup and other things that I probably have to like, you know, have to drive down and, and import for, for all of, for all of the American friends. But uh, no, I, I think, I think it'll be late fall um, when we can finally get together. And I think it'll be really fun because uh, although this is great and you know, it's, it certainly helps, right. Yeah. Uh, it's still not the same as meeting in person. Yeah. We can meet up at Niagara Falls and I'll, I'll wave from the U S <laughs> from the U S I will wave, we'll wave across the bridge. Right. We'll have to set that to music, John. I'll make for a great, <laughs> for a great video. It happen. There's a lot of things we need to see and do. <laughs> well, thanks to all of you tuned into this episode of healthcare IT today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hong, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lynn. Thanks for listening. 